I like their rubric uh, with the eight categories that they have. I think uh, all those eight categories are very important for online learning. So it has learning objectives, assessment and measurement, instructional materials, course activities and learner interaction, course technology, learner support, accessibility and usability. So when you're assessing online learning, I think looking at some of those items definitely enhances quality in an online course. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hey, Brad. Hey, Tiffany. Today, we are joined by Dr. Florence Martin. Dr. Florence Martin is a professor in learning design and technology at North Carolina State University. Martin engages in research to create transformative learning experiences through effective design and integration of digital teaching and learning innovations. In recent years, she has researched on the design of online learning environments, cybersecurity and computer science education, and competencies for learning and development professionals to provide equitable learning opportunities. She received her doctorate and master's degrees in educational technology from Arizona State University. Prior to her current position, she was a full professor at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and a tenured associate professor at University of North Carolina, Wilmington for 15 years. She teaches courses on learning, design, and technology 100% online and has received Quality Matters certification for eight of her courses. She was the first place winner of the Crystal Award from the Division of Distance Learning and Association of Educational Communications and Technology in 2015, which is given to innovative and outstanding multimedia-based distance learning courses. We are thrilled to welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast, Dr. Florence Martin. It's great to have you here, Florence. Thank you. And it's really interesting how we first came upon your name and your work. So Brad and I have published a bit on something we call synchronicity. And in the process of doing so and reading Educause, we came across your work on bichronous learning. And I think we're going to talk about that today. But you're a superstar in our book, and we're excited to explore your research and a little bit more about you. One way we like to do that is by asking some pretty ridiculous questions to get started. So Brad? Well, I just want to say how much I resent you referring to these questions as ridiculous. <laughs> They're awesome. But I'll forgive you. First question. What is the worst piece of advice that you've ever been given? So I thought about this, you know, rather than referring to his worst piece of advice, I'm going to respond to the hardest piece of advice. Okay. That's okay. Okay. It was tough. It was tough receiving this advice. You know, I came to the United States as an international student. Uh, I didn't grow up learning to write research papers, mm. unlike here where students are thought to do that even in high school and undergraduate studies. So when I was in graduate school, of course, uh, my advisor and another member of my committee, they sat me down and they said my writing needed work. <laughs> and uh, that was hard. 
it was hard, but you know, I've learned since then. I think I've published more than 100 articles now. Wow. And I think sometimes advice can be hard, but it's how you take it and you work on it. And with every piece I write, I learned to grow and, you know, do a better job. So I thought I'll share that. So what was the strategy that you used to make yourself a better writer? You know, research-based writing is different, right, than from regular writing. So it's just the academic writing itself. So I think reading a lot of articles and also knowing when to cite and knowing your APA guidelines pretty well and not repeating yourself, getting straight to the point, you know, things like that. I think you just grow doing it, doing multiple studies and then following the same process, same writing process. And do you take advantage of digital tools like Grammarly or other tools like that? To help yeah, you I do write? have Grammarly enabled. I do check but then even having other team members look at mm -hmm. it. I'm not a native English speaker, but then even with native English speakers, reviewers will always say, oh, this writing needs to be edited. So, okay. so I think you just have to keep working on it. It is a lifelong pursuit to be a good writer. Mm -hmm. We can always all get better. And somehow students don't appreciate that. And when you criticize their writing, it's like, what do you mean? I got all A's in high school. <laughs> right, right. All right. Would you rather compete in the Olympics or direct a movie that was nominated for an Oscar? Definitely direct a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are so many important topics. And I watch a lot of movies. The Indian movie industry is large. We have a lot of different regional languages. And so there's tons of movies that get produced. So, and there's a need uh, for some movies on some really important topics. <laughs> so definitely direct a movie. Very good. So in this day and age, would you rather work remotely or work in an office? Post-COVID. Definitely, I prefer working remotely at home. If you had asked me the same question pre-COVID, I used to work out of the office. I used to make it to campus on a regular basis, even though I taught online. I was on campus at least three times a week. And when I go, I'm there full days. But now, you know, during COVID, I got a desk set up. I have a large screen monitor and I can function pretty well. And it makes a difference. You know, it saves commute time. And I think I definitely prefer working at home. I do like to go to campus occasionally because I think the social aspect is important, meeting with colleagues. and But I think post-COVID, more and more of us are working from home. So when you want to go to campus, I think it's important for others to be on campus as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. This might have changed as you've moved from working in the office to working at home. But our final get acquainted question is, what's your typical morning routine? Hmm. So I have a seventh grader and a ninth grader. I have two boys. Say no so more. <laughs> my day begins with them you know being a mom takes up a couple of hours of my morning routine getting them up and getting them out of the house <laughs> so until they are out of the house only then my day can really begin 
But when I start, I mean, I go through my emails and I have some emails, like subscriptions, you know, subscription emails that come to my inbox every day. So I start by, you know, just taking a look at it and then going through the important emails that I need to respond. I also like to write in the morning. I feel like my head is more clear. Uh, I have more brain power. So I like to do the writing in the morning and then things like grading can come later on in the day. So that's what happens in the morning usually. Very good. Well, you have written a lot. So kind of how you started to get acquainted questions by talking about the advice that you got that you needed to work on your writing. It really is shocking. I know we all start somewhere and we go through a growth process, but to hear you say that that was hard advice and then to see your impressive list of what you've written on is quite phenomenal. We want to dig into that a bit to your work, but first staying in the present, how would you assess the quality of online learning opportunities right now in 2023? So focusing on assessment of quality in online learning, I would refer back to quality matters. They have been around for a while, I think irrespective of 2023 or a few years ago. I like their rubric. Uh, with the eight categories that they have. I think uh, all those eight categories are very important for online learning. So it has learning objectives, assessment and measurement, instructional materials, course activities and learner interaction, course technology, learner support, accessibility and usability. So when you're assessing online learning, I think looking at some of those items definitely enhances quality in an online course. I've taken several courses through the QM process. I think I did eight when I was at my prior institution and I'm taking one through it right now. I've also taken programs through the QM process. So you can take programs through the QM process when a good number of courses are QM certified. As an instructional designer myself and teaching online, I would say definitely that has helped me improve the quality in my own courses. But one thing I also want to mention is that rubric focuses only on design. While design is important, so is facilitation. Sometimes, you know, faculty also tend to think, oh, we put in all this effort into design and now it's going to be great, but not quite. So we also have to put in a lot of effort in the facilitation. I've also written a bit on facilitation. So you can use a number of strategies to facilitate your online course. The instructor has to be present. I think that's what truly makes a course of good quality. So I think it has to have design as well as it also has to have all the facilitation strategies in there where students feel engaged, you know, there's a community, the instructor is right there, like several strategies that you can use. That is what I would look for if I'm assessing the quality of online learning in 2023. I love that answer because as you were describing the QM categories, I was thinking to myself, yeah, those are all design issues. What about the faculty? And you are so right. The course design is really a palette. And the faculty member brings that to life with color and shape and other things to make the course interesting and engaging. Yeah, exactly. Because 
in most cases, maybe let's assume that faculty are involved in design, but in some cases they may not be right at some institutions, they're given a course. Right. So then the faculty still have to use the different facilitation strategies to teach the course. So I think both design and facilitation are important. Very good. I love that. So we kind of touched on this, but are there key things that faculty should be doing beyond uh, the design issue to make a course come alive for their students? Uh, definitely. So let me talk about design first, and then we'll talk about okay. facilitation. So in the design lens, I actually am going to refer you to an article which I wrote, you know, for each of the questions, the studies that I have done. So this article came out in IRODL. And it was on design elements. We called it as design elements. So what we did was, you might ask me, there are already other design rubrics. Why do you need one more? So we wanted to validate and have a rubric that researchers can use. So we built on existing rubrics and we walk you through that process in that article. So actually, I would say it's a design element list with five main categories. So there's a category called overview. I think when a student enters into the course, first they need to know the big picture of the course, where to start, what are the objectives, what is the course goal, right? What are their expectations? How are they being graded? So all that falls under the overview section. An example will be a student orientation. So either you do an asynchronous orientation or a synchronous orientation. So that's a category. And then content presentation is the next one. I think it's very important. So how you present the content. So unlike in a face-to-face -face course, you know, in an online course, if the student is not able to easily navigate, if the course is not user-friendly, you're going to lose them. Mm -hmm. So I think it has to be really well designed. Uh, the course information should be chunked into modules or units. Consistency is important. And so the learner knows exactly, you know, where they can find what. Deadlines should be clear. How do they submit assignments? All that stuff. So content presentation is very important. Third one, I would say, is interaction and communication. So they're accessing the content. They're going through this by themselves. But then, you know, just... Completing these activities in a self-paced manner is not only sufficient. So there needs to be some interaction and communication to engage them. It could be interaction with your peers, right? Some kind of activities, discussions, peer projects, collaborative work, and also interaction with the instructor. There should be room to have a conversation with the instructor. Uh, you could build in activities to build community, like icebreaker activities, so they get to know who else is in the class. Uh, you could do a, a number of elements. And then... Assessment and evaluation is important. Again, online assessments have to be different than, you know, what you always do in a face-to-face -face setting. Also, having clear rubrics for graded assignments is important. I think learners want to know exactly what is expected of them. I think so the criteria, including grading criteria or rubrics, makes it easier for them. And you could do a number of formative and summative assessments and, you know, just not only relying on an exam in the end, right? Including authentic assessments in addition to traditional assessments is helpful. And then a fifth category is learner support. 
making sure you know they have different levels of support support within the course from the instructor but then also the university level they should be able to get the support that they need like you know the writing center or accessing information from the library so those are different things so i talked about five design elements overview content presentation interaction and communication assessment and evaluation learner support so design and facilitation should actually go hand in hand right? So some of the facilitation things you actually think through in the design stage itself. It doesn't come later on. Like, for example, you build in an announcement forum, and then you send out periodic announcements. So if it's like a weekly, then you do it weekly. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to have an introduction discussion, then you build it in the design and then make sure that it happens in the during the facilitation stage. Again, facilitation can occur like there could be pedagogical aspects, but then there could also be some managerial aspects. There could be technical aspects. There could be social aspects. So different aspects of facilitation can also happen. But I think both are important. Hmm. Very good. We're going to pause the conversation here, but we'll be back next week with part two with Dr. Florence Martin on the Digital to Learn podcast. We'll see you then. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.